your success in life and in business will be constrained in part or enabled greatly by your ability to tell stories. Stories are what engage us in each other. Stories are what invest us in each other. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome, Storytellers. I'm your host, your guide, your librarian, your captain of this ship uh, of storytellers, the USS Storyteller, right? Anyway, uh, I'm Dan. I appreciate you joining me. I'm so excited. Look, I love story. I have 125 episodes of this all kinds of amazing people on uh, to repeat people as well. So just an incredible journey. And, and today brings another amazing storyteller. Let me, let me rephrase that. A legendary storyteller, a man I admire for his books, for his business books, for his mind, for his podcasts, uh, for his dialogue. Uh, but a warning, don't let the kids listen if you don't want them hearing some, some cussing because he also just, he is who he is. And uh, I told him, don't worry about it. Swear away if you want to. So uh, we get into that. So that's all right. Uh, but this guy is legendary, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. Now, a quick note before we get there: uh, go to the storytellersnetwork.com for all those past interviews that I just mentioned, for resources to help you tell your story better, and for you know a way to get in contact with me if you want to. Dan at the storytellersnetwork.com for my email, uh, or you can go to the website the storytellersnetwork.com for all of that, all the social social links, etc. So. Today's episode, the episode you're listening to is my longest one to date. Uh, I am so excited to bring you Christopher Lockhead. Christopher wrote a couple different books, uh, Play Bigger, How to Cre- Create a Legendary Life by Being a Category Designer. Absolutely amazing. Uh, also another great book, Niche Down, where he talks about taking that, that, that idea and making it more about the smaller entrepreneur business type people. Great book there as well. So for business and marketing. Two fantastic resources. He also has a show called Follow Your Difference that is just amazing dialogue episodes with legendary people. And it's always interesting and just fun to listen to Christopher riff with some great folks. So, so listen to those podcasts. Christopher is definitely a storyteller, even though you'll hear him say he's not. Uh, I, 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 I argue with that. I debate that he is. So, uh, so there you go. Christopher Lockhead today on the show. I can't wait for you to hear his stories. Uh, Christopher, welcome to Storytellers Network. I've been waiting for this for two and a half years. Um, not because of you, just because of me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I'm so excited to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Well, thank you. And, and if I in any way contributed to the wait uh, unintentionally, oh. Please know it was not my intention. I would have I would have come on anytime you asked me to. I think you're awesome. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. No, we've you know, we, I had you on uh, the business podcast that I helped run for Wayfinding Growth. Um, yep. We talked several times about other stuff, so it was never you. I just it just never kind of like the seasons that I've had never really made sense to me. And finally, time I was like, you know what, the hell with that. I'm on season ten. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a hiatus after this episode, 
um, to write my book. I'm like, I got to have Christopher on before I do anything. So <laughs> it's all me. Um, so with that all said, you know, look, you're, you're an author, you're, you're this huge, you know, you've been a CMO for multiple tech companies, you've been in marketing forever. As we are just talking, you tell stories, but do you think of yourself as a storyteller? Um, no, I think, I, I think that would be, I mean, I don't think about myself in that context as kind of an identity, but, uh, I am passionate about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I've been training myself in for decades. And, um, so it's, I don't think about it much. But in the context of category design, there's this thing we call a POV, a point of view, mm-hmm. and it's a story. It's a certain kind of story that's uh, successful category designers. It has a, a certain architecture. Um, but luckily, you know, when you write a couple books and you blab as much as I do on the <laughs> internet, um, you got to be able to tell a fucking story. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and I, you know, I know you well enough too that I imagine you're sitting around. I listen to enough of your shows, like just sitting around drinking scotch, bullshitting with somebody is storytelling. Yes, of um, course. You know, but then also there's this whole professional side of like you said, the, the POV when it comes to, to category design, you've got to have your point of view and tell it well. How do you like, how do you train yourself? You say you've been training yourself for decades. How do you do that? So... I think, I think there's a practice thing that's really important. And I learned to be a storyteller verbally long before I became a storyteller, um, a written storyteller. Um, as you know, I'm dyslexic and I have a bunch of these other things that we lovingly today call learning differences, dyscalculia and ADHD. And I, as you know, I roll them all together and call them dysphalia. Uh, which is perfect (laughs) and so writing and reading way hard for me um it took a long time for me to develop any kind of level of writing that's passable um but verbally i think like a lot of dyslexics but whatever for whatever reason verbally um i've always been stronger and so training myself to tell a story and at the right cadence and with the right level of detail, but not too much detail. And with enough understanding human dynamics enough to know that there's different communication styles. And so for the people who are analytical, by way of example, if you go too far in a story without saying something that they feel is substantive or fact-based or referencing something smart or detail-oriented or reliable or something that a more analytical person would rest on, if you go too long without doing that, um, you probably lose them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's, and then there's people who are very um, uh, relationship-oriented. And if you go too long without doing something that demonstrates some level of humanity or empathy or interest in others, uh, you're going to lose them. Yeah, that's me, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's some people who are very good to the point. So if you're like, if you don't say, you know, those people get super comfortable when you say, listen, there's three things, Dan, we want to talk about today. Bam, bam, bam. You know, and you sort of are getting to the point if somebody is um, sort of tuned to that kind of communication and you don't. And you ramble too much, 
which I, I'm guilty of, you can lose them. And so, and then, and then there's a lot of us who are attracted to more sort of sis boom bah, you know? And so they want to, they want to, you want to, it want to sound exciting and interesting and all that because the people who are more attracted to shiny objects of which I'm one, you know, if you drone on like this and you talk about, well, then there was a study that said that 37.6 people said that uh, they really prefer to listen to a podcast, you know, you're gone, right? So anyway, my point is having an appreciation for the fact that different people communicate in different ways and trying to speak to people in a way that is on one hand authentic for you. I'm not, I don't try to play some character. I'm not some some made up bullshit. This is, I'm just myself. Um, I can't stand the, that, you know, those people who play characters on TV or in their podcasts or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I had an experience with that recently. It's a good story. I can tell you. Yeah. Um, yeah so you're, you're trying to mix a lot of things. My point is you're trying to be on one hand authentically yourself, but at the same time tuned into the fact that different people communicate in different ways and different kinds of story elements um, appeal to different people. And so you want to be authentically yourself and not manipulative or play some stupid character, but at the same time, try to learn how to communicate in a way that a broader set of people might find compelling. What I find interesting too, is you talked about all of that, all those elements, and I haven't heard it said that way before. Instead of saying, well, you have to have a hero, then they have to have a conflict. Then you have to have a guide. You got, you got your five man band where you got the hero and the heart and the, like none of those elements came into, into to our conversation at this point. You're just talking about how people listen and what speaks to them. And that's so important, I think, to think about, especially in today's world where storytelling has become this like big buzzword where everybody wants to tell a story about their company. And it's like, well, but do you have to tell a story in that sense or can you do what you're talking about and just communicate better, right? Yeah, and I don't know if I'd say better. Um, that's, a, that's a trigger word for me, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, oh triggered. Well, what would you say then? Like, how would you frame that differently? <laughs> um, I think I think we're living in an interesting time, and I've always been fascinated by dichotomy. So I think on one hand, we're swimming in a Kardashian-filled world of bullshit, mm-hmm. and it's a stunner, and it happens in the news media. Uh, we've gotten to a place with the media in this country where um, the belief is you have to take some radical position all the time. And so it's sort of um, rather than any kind of discussion about anything that's substantive, it's a bunch of extreme extremists yelling at each other Mm. and, and it's fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. And I think it's inauthentic. And I think when businesses do that, so if you're going to do stunt shit like that, um, look, a lot of people do it, but I, there's an inauthenticity to it. So, but there's a lot of it that's being successful, whether it's in the political world or in, in, in you know, the business marketing world or, or what have you. However, I think things that are real, things that feel like they are, have have enough head and heart in them um 
you know, one of the things Eddie Yoon and I, my dear friend, Eddie Yoon and collaborator, we just wrote a story for HBR um, about uh, a set of things you could think about doing to uh, improve your cash flow and improve your business in this, in this time of crisis. And of the things that we wrote about in that piece, there was two that seemed to really resonate with people, Dan, and, and the two that really stood out and we got a lot of feedback on are these ideas of um, being thoughtfully aggressive and in the context of this crisis around what you can do to save money, save costs, uh, preserve cash, et cetera. And also be thoughtfully aggressive about um, new opportunities for your business. Hmm. Um, because, and I know it's hard to see particularly, for, I mean, I, I've talked to entrepreneurs whose business just shut down because they can't operate. Right. And I could tell you a fantastic story if you want to hear one, but uh, that is beyond inspiring. So look, I, I understand what it's like for some people to be going through a situation where, um, everything's shut down. But even in that case, um, there might be possibility. And so uh, that's sort of in there sits this idea of how do we be thoughtfully aggressive? And sitting next to thoughtfully aggressive is this other idea um, called radical generosity. Hmm. And one of the things Eddie and I had been working on, we're, we're working on a book together and we'd already written this stuff before the crisis. The book's not out yet, but we, we've sort of blown this idea out pretty well, I think, that companies that design and dominate categories today are often, more, more often, we're starting to see this pattern of radical generosity. And it comes in m multiple ways. They give away a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, the freemium model in the software industry, right? Where, you, you know, Zoom's a great example, right? You can use Zoom for free for, with some limitations, but, um, so, but that's been around for a while. And then there's a lot of companies today that say they have a double bottom line, right? They have a business profit growth oriented type set of goals. And then they have a do good in the world set of goals. And there are entrepreneurs and CEOs today that say they're working real hard to, um, to hold those things equally. Um, so however you want to look at it, I think the idea of radical generosity is a powerful one because um, when you look at your business through that lens, you might see something. And then if, if that sits in a context of thoughtfully aggressive, which is on one hand, we don't want to be Pollyannish. We are in a tough, uh, tough fucking time for the vast majority of businesses, mm. right? But so we want to be thoughtful about what we do to try, to try to preserve our positions. That's an important discussion. And at the same time, we don't want to be blind to a potential opportunity to do something legendary. And when you connect that to radical generosity, it blows open some thinking. And I can give you some specific examples. I know I'm talking at a high level right now, but um, this is a very powerful idea, I think, right now for all of us, which is how can we be thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous at the same time? Absolutely. And, and yeah, and it's, you know, my heart goes out to all that you have such a, a huge heart for entrepreneurs and my heart breaks for these business owners and businesses, especially the small business of America that during this, you know, we're, we're recording this in, in April, the COVID-19 shutdown, everything's going on. Like it's, an, it's incredibly difficult for so many, but I love the idea of being, um, you know, just that, that ridiculously generous as where you can and, and while being thoughtfully aggressive. Um, you mentioned Christopher having a, an example of that. One of, 
Why don't you, can you share that with me? Yeah, I'll give you a couple if you like. Um, yeah, man. So a few days ago, awesome friend of mine, leg, legendary entrepreneur. He's working with another set of legendary entrepreneurs and they've built this new product and it's a consumer product and it's revolutionary and um, it's based on science and it, you know, it's, I think it's a new category and it show, shows all the signs to me of being something really legendary and, and a special new thing. However, the uh, primary target use case and therefore buyer for this new product are, are people who travel. Mm. We're not doing that right now. <laughs> we're not doing that right now. And I don't think we're going to be doing much of it for quite a while. So we got together and, and they wanted to ask me about category design and how they should position this thing. And, and they were sort of in their minds, they were sort of saying, well, we're going to do all this work, get everything ready so that when we start traveling again, we'll, we can execute our plan. But who knows how long it's going to take before, you know, people, people are really going to feel tra comfortable traveling. And so they, they essentially thought they were going to be very slow rolling this business. So we get into the conversation. They share with me all the stuff. And I then share with them this lens called thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous. And so as we got to the radically generous part, Dan, I said, well, have you thought about how I think this is a real new invention, not just a category. This new invention might make a difference in the context of C-19. And he said, well, not really. I said, well, what a, they said, we, we didn't really see that it did. And said, okay, well, let's do some brainstorming. We start kicking some ideas around. We brainstorm around on it for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, half an hour maybe. And here's what happens. Simply by asking the question, how could our, in this case, product make a difference in the context of C-19, COVID-19, and, and, and if we were us, what would we do to be radically generous? And here's what happens in roughly half an hour, just by asking the question and being willing to spitball around in it. They realize that their new product and category could actually have a massive positive uh, value uh, in a certain use case for certain people around C-19. And they never saw it. Mm. It was sitting right in front of their face. So, so then we said, okay, well, you know, they sell this product for a certain amount of money. And we said, look, in this situation, I think it's okay to make money as a business. I do. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if a, the primary use case is going to be one that helps in the battle against C-19, I think we have to be very, very uh, careful here and very thoughtful here because I think most people would say it's okay for a business that makes something that makes a difference in a crisis to make some money doing that because we want our businesses to be healthy. But at the same time, don't you fucking get out just right? Right. Yeah. Perfect. So in the brainstorm, after we realize, holy shit, there's a whole set of application, there's an application here and there's a use case here that could actually help around C-19 that, that we had not seen. Then we said, okay, how do we be radically generous? And they started to go through their, their margins and their cost of goods and things along those lines. Anyway, here was the aha they had. They said, well, it was not in our business plan 
for some period of time, we could do a buy one, get one free. And with that one free, we could allow the customer to decide if they wanted us to donate our thing to um, people right on the front lines because there's an application for this thing for people right on the front lines that they hadn't really realized because it wasn't obvious. But once you saw it, it was as obvious as the nose on your face. So anyway, what's my point? Long story longer here. By asking the question, by sitting with an entrepreneur who thought they had an innovation that they essentially wouldn't be able to bring the market for quite some time. And so they were just going to start thinking on it, working on it on a slow roll in roughly half an hour, there's this massive aha that says we could make a difference. And then there's massive aha that, you know what, we could afford to do this at a much lower margin and, and try to do something special. And so I, and I've had a number of these conversations, Dan. And so what I've learned recently, thanks to my work with Eddie, is when you begin to ask the question, how do we be thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous at the same time and do it in a way that tries to make a difference in this crisis if there's a role for us to play um, and, and positions us to have a strong legendary business and become a category queen or category king over time? That's a powerful set of questions to ask yourself. And in this one example, um, it's led to a massive breakthrough. And, and this team is off working on doing exactly what I just described. I can't wait to see how that comes to fruition. And know that we talked about it here, but see what that is exactly. Because that's incredible. And what a and yeah, like, and one, sorry, go ahead. I said, what a great time to 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 think about that in this, again, in this crisis where people are like, you know, I'm going to pull back my marketing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to close. I'm going to cut. Like, yes, those things can happen and have to happen for some people. On the other hand, what an incredible time to look forward and be so, again, thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous. So, um, Dave, you got another one? Yeah. And look, I am in no way making light. There are certain businesses where the shit hit the fan and there was nothing you could do about it. Oh, yeah. Right. So I don't want anybody to feel like, Anyway, this is one such story. So I mentioned my adopted brother, Eddie. And he's been working with a company called Hydrofacial for a while. And I've, I've met uh, some of the leadership, including the CEO and CMO. And they're wonderful people. And what Hydrofacial is, is a new category that is sort of a, a meld of a medical procedure and a traditional make you feel nice facial, but this is a make you feel nice facial that actually gets a bunch of gunk out of your skin and has all these sort of health healthcare like benefits, right? And it's become very, very popular. And they have certified hydrofacial um, estheticians, I think they're called. I don't, I don't know anything about this world. I've never had one, but anyway, very successful. People love it. It's a new category. It's a very cool thing. And Clint, uh, and team have done an amazing job. So last year they had a great year. If I'm not mistaken, it was their best year ever, almost positive. And I know for sure this year, and I probably shouldn't say the numbers, but they were projecting a very big up year this year, which would also be their best year ever. And they were feeling great about life until this thing starts, it hits. And when it hits, literally shut down. No, no facials, not getting a facial. So they go from having their best year ever being the category queen of a category they designed and created and they're just rocking and bam, they don't have a business. Man. So then they get, they decide to get 
and I, I, I don't, they would not have used these words at the time, uh, thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous. <laughs> Excuse me. So what do they do? They start looking at the problem of, of COVID and, 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 and the problems we're all having. And clearly there's a mask problem. So they decide to go to work on the mask problem. Here's what they invent, and I'll show you, because I happen to have it right here. Hmm. They invent the world's first cotton, copper-infused, reusable, and washable up to 30 times uh, mask. Hmm. But this is a mask that you use 30 times. And the term they use for it is it's the copper is impregnated in the cotton. So it's not just layered on it. It's like, I, don't ask me how, but it's, it's, it's in the cotton. But what it means is this thing is, is comfortable. It's, cr it's crazy comfortable. So the traditional mask, you know, leaves those horrible marks and stuff. Not so with this, right? It feels like wearing a really uh, steezy sock. And of course you wash it and reuse it. Um, and so they, in, in roughly four weeks, Dan, they go from having their greatest year ever on, on a run rate basis, their business be, being done. They just went off a cliff over light switch off, bam, no business, no business, no fucking business. And then they say, okay, um, what are we going to do about this? And I know enough about Lisa uh, and Clint and the rest of the team there because I've met them through Eddie to know that these folks are not taking things lying down. So they ask themselves this set of questions. They brainstorm it out. And in a few weeks, they stand up an entirely new business. So much so that when Michael Bloomberg hears about this, he buys 500,000 of them to give away. Wow. This all, happens in, this all happens in weeks, dude. And so this to me is one of the great entrepreneurial stories. And there's many of them, many. I, I know others I can tell you if you like. Yeah. I just happen to know these folks relatively well. And my buddy Eddie knows them deeply, of course. And, but, but this is the entrepreneurial spirit. This is how entrepreneurs come forward and make a difference. This is how in the face of crushing defeat, they say, fuck it. And they figure this shit out and away they go. What is, what kind of person is that? Like, that's an incredible story. And the fact that they as a team could do that together, like the culture and that group of people obviously is, is, is powerful. But what is it within them that <coughs> they don't take shit laying down? Like, how is that such a, a huge thing for them? <clears throat> All right. I just got some water stuck in my throat. Oh. <laughs> I look, I just think, I, first of all, I think the world of these people, I don't know them super well, but I've met them on a number of occasions. And as you could tell, I, I spent some time with them about this product and um, I'm trying to plug a bunch of people into this because of course the world needs these. So anyway, I'm trying to help them with this. Uh, we've been, we've been also supplying gloves to our local hospitals. Uh, I got samples to give to our local hospitals to see if they want to use these. Uh, even if the hospitals don't, the cops probably do. Um, we've been making hand sanitizer for the cops. I mean, we've just been trying to do everything possible. Anyway, to answer your question, um, on one hand, I think these are legendary entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I think 
these are people with nothing to lose. Right. Uh, I think legendary entrepreneurs have to act like they got nothing to lose, even if they do have something to protect. But in this case, and I got another nothing to lose story for you, if you want to, yeah, uh, nothing to lose. The business was done. They were done. So their option was um, say to their shareholders and their customers and their people and everybody, um, uh, we're cooked and uh, we'll see when this thing's done, but we're probably out of business. Right. That's, I don't know how dramatic it was going to be, but they went from having a business to not having a business, right? And it was, it's a meaningful business. Uh, and so they're done. And so somehow in the face of we're done, we're fucked. They had the courage to say, okay, given that we're fucked, let's just do it. What would we do? Okay. What's the big problem? And there was a bunch of reasons they were attracted to masks and they knew that they had an in on the cotton. And, you know, there's all sorts of details behind the scene that were just sort of serendipitous and relationships and prior experiences with the execs. And, you know, there's just a bunch of stars that align that went to like, ta-da, masks. But in weeks, they stand this business up and they're selling them to Bloomberg and they're going for it. And, and here we are, right? No red uh, tape, man. Just get it done. I love that. Get it done. The, the government, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of the government and we could get into that. I think there's a lot of valid criticism, but in this case, they got this shit approved very, very quickly. And if I'm not mistaken, they're, they either are on track to be or have been. So I'm, uh, again, I'm not that close to it, but I know that it's, it's, it's in the domain of getting certified as a, uh, is it an N95? Is that what they're called? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is, if I'm getting it wrong, I apologize, but whatever the high end certified mask is, mm -hmm. they're on, on track to, to getting certified as such. Uh, and they feel confident that the red tape's being removed and blah, blah, blah. So, so anyway, my point is incredible. And I, and I think there's many legendary entrepreneurs who are doing things along those lines. I got a bunch of other stories if you want. And I also think here's the bottom line. There are many of us who are not really in a position to help because we're fighting super hard just to keep our head above water. Mm, sure. Many of us who've gotten this thing, who've gotten sick. I have friends who've gotten this thing. I know people who died of this thing. Mm -hmm. So there's many of us struggling uh, medically or health-wise and there's many of us struggling economically. And if that's the situation, if you're fighting for your survival at one level or another, that's what you got to do. You got to take care of yourself, right? And if, if you, the same thing in a business context, you got to take care of your business. And there's some of us who in one way or another are in a position to help. And I think it, it behooves all of us to say, this is the question I ask myself. If I was a legendary leader, what would I do now? Yeah. So anyway, I think uh, Clint and Lisa and the team, I don't know what questions they asked themselves, but they asked, they had to have asked themselves those things. They had nothing to lose. And they, by some way saying, how could we stand up a business that would be a great business and make a great difference at this historic time? And again, I don't know what your words they use, but they had to have asked themselves those kinds of questions. Here they are. So you're, you're describing 
you, you keep saying, you know, they set up a business. This is not like, Hey, we just want, like they're going to make money at this. They're going to have a livelihood. This is capitalism at its finest really. Cause there's also capitalism, like those guys in Tennessee or whatever, who bought a whole bunch of hand sanitizer at the very beginning of all this. And we're like, we're going to jack up the prices and they got ramrodded for that. Um, you know, price gouging. You said earlier, don't gouge me. Like there's capitalism, a dark side to it, but you're talking about, it almost sounds like, I don't know if this is a term or not, but it feels like compassionate capitalism. Is that something that can come out of all this? I, I think it could. And I take a stand for it. And I, I actually think, Dan, it was happening before this. Mm. You know, um, for example, uh, quite a while ago now on my podcast, we had on Nancy Fund. And she's one of the co-founders of a venture firm called Double Bottom Line Partners. And their mission is to invest in companies that have an equal focus on building a legendary business that has a big economic outcome, profits and cash flow and market cap and all the good stuff. You know, investors invest to make money. It's right. about making money, right? But they want to invest equally with an eye to companies that are making a difference in one way or another. So she's a seed investor in Tesla. She's a seed investor in um, Solar City, if I'm not mistaken. So she's partnered with Elon Musk on many of his companies and, and lots of others, but she's most famous for that. And, and, and look, we had the founders of John's Crazy Socks on my podcast. Love it. Right? I love that. Mark, Mark and John Cronin. Maybe, maybe my favorite episode, right? <laughs> and of course, John is, um, uh, has Down syndrome. They started a company together and, and they're doing great. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're an Inc. 500 grower. Uh, if you don't love johnscrazysocks.com, something wrong with you. I think everybody should go to johnscrazysocks.com right now and buy some John's Crazy Socks because they are awesome and they are fun. And guys, don't, we, don't wear, we don't wear ties anymore, any of that shit. So we, we have to get snazzy with the socks. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah. when they were on the podcast, one of the things they said, they donate part of their profits and revenues and shit to Special Olympics. And then they do special socks around certain causes. They have a literacy sock that um, uh, President H.W. Bush uh, was actually photographed wearing uh, and all sorts of ones. And so they'll do special cause-oriented socks. So they donate part of their um, uh, revenue to charity, to Special Olympics. And then they have certain products, socks, that, that the, the proceeds go to certain other. So, and when they were on the podcast, my point in all sharing all that is what they communicated was they don't think you can start a business today that you can have a successful business today without some kind of um, social or environmental or you know, whatever, wherever you want to make a difference, but some kind of mission and look salesforce.com. It's not just small companies. You know, they've been very active about giving and donating time and, uh, you know, so anyway, I, I think there's a movement afoot here and, and I think there's a very good uh, case to be made that coming out of C19, um, it'll be a boost to that. How do you find that mission with authenticity versus just checking a box? Like if I'm thinking, I want to be an entrepreneur and start this business. Oh, so if I make sure I start a business and have this, well, 10% goes to X. 
like, well, that means I'm going to be successful, but it has to be authentic. I would guess. How do you do that? Or does that not really matter? Does it just matter that you're giving? Um, yeah, I think it just matters that you're giving or doing good giving and or doing good shit. I, I, I don't know how to evaluate somebody's motivation. If they're doing it, then they're motivated to do it. And, you know, if I think about myself, um, I, I try to be a good person in the world and I try to support a number of causes that I've tried to do over many, many years. And, um, there are certain causes that I support that I'm maybe a little less enthusiastic about than some others, but I support them because I think that, you know, so anyway, I don't know how to evaluate that. If you're doing good shit, you're a good person. And if you're, if, if you think you're only 20% stoked about that cause, but you're supporting a cause and it's a good cause, well, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> or if yeah, you say, absolutely. Hey, this is my thing and I'm all over it. And then, Great. However, I don't care how you feel about it. If you're doing good things in the world, then fucking ace, Susie and Jimmy. <laughs> Check that box and do it, right? Just, just yeah, do it. No, that's I good. don't care why you're doing it. <laughs> that's interesting. You, you know, you, I would think this, a lot of people might say, well, it has to be authentic. You have to really mean it. You know, Patagonia supporting outdoors, you know, um, uh, national parks and everything makes sense. So that's good. But if they were to support puppies, like who cares, but no, if they're supporting rescue dogs, that's a good thing. So the reason behind it doesn't necessarily matter. It's the good that you're doing. How do I evaluate your level of stoke around the good <laughs> thing you're doing? I don't care if you're 2% stoked, if, but if you're writing checks or being helpful in some way, or just being kind or smiling or, you know, I don't know, just, then great. I don't care. <laughs> I, love, I love that perspective. I think that's bullshit. Uh, if you're doing good things, you're a good person, you're a good company and end of discussion as far as I'm concerned. And it, listen, if you want to jump up and down about it, jump up and down. Or if you want to be subtle about it, or frankly, there's a lot of people who donate who are anonymous, whatever you want to do. I don't care. Just, yeah. just stoke you're doing it. Make the world a better place. Um, you said earlier, Christopher, uh, you had a story about, uh, I think, authenticity and somebody that wasn't authentic, so we can get back to it. Do you remember what you were thinking about? I do, because yeah, it just let's, happened. Let's unpack that. I want to hear that story. This just happened. So a friend of mine who's a legendary marketing guy comes into contact with a celebrity. And uh, a celebrity business person. And this person's such a celebrity, there was a major motion picture made about this person's life, starring a, like an A-list actor. And this was several years ago. Anyway, so this individual is a very big damn deal, right? And this individual's sort of life story and mission and sort of message in the world is, is all about happiness and inclusion and diversity and acceptance and happiness, right? So a very sort of, um, you know, sweetness and light and a very sort of inspirational character, right? And that's why the movie got made and this and that. So anyway, um, I get a call from my buddy. My buddy says, hey, um, uh, you got a sec? I, I got so-and-so, the, the super ding-dong celebrity guy I've been describing. Um, 
Super ding dong. I love that. Yeah. Which is a term of endearment for anybody that's high end and highfalutin. <laughs> so, this, hey, I got the super ding dong on the phone. Uh, do you have a sec? And um, so we get on the call, and I had seen this super ding dong movie years ago on a plane. So, I, you know, I remember it vaguely, but it's been a couple of whiskeys ago. And, um, and this was like the day after. Um, or maybe a couple days after it was announced that Tom Hanks and his wife contracted the virus. So he was, Tom Hanks was on my mind. And for some reason, I have no idea why, Dan, I thought Tom Hanks was like a producer of this guy's movie or was somehow involved or maybe had a small part in it, something. It was years ago I saw it. I, I definitely knew who the actor was who played this guy, and I definitely knew that wasn't Tom Hanks. Anyway, long story way longer. We get on the call. Hey, how's it going? Cha, cha, cha. Great. And, and um, I said, oh, I made some comment about, you know, have you been on the phone with your friend Tom Hanks? And he says, Tom Hanks? I said, yeah, you know, Tom Hanks, wasn't he? Well, turns out it's a total gaffe. I was 100% wrong. I put my foot right in my mouth, which I'm apt to do. Shit happens. <laughs> so I apologized and we kept talking and it didn't seem like anything in the moment. Anyway, at the end of the conversation, the big ding dong celebrity agrees to come on the podcast. So I say, great, we'll send you a follow-up email. We'll get you scheduled and can't wait. I'll send the email. A few days go by. Don't hear anything back. And my assistant, Candy Dandy, is absolutely legendary. She doesn't drop the ball. Uh, and so that's kind of weird. So, so uh, I asked her if I had missed the email, which I'm apt to do. I miss a ton of emails. <laughs> and she said, no, and nothing came back. I said, oh, okay. So I, I just sent him a polite email. And the subject line was, did we drop the ball? And here's what comes back. He changes the subject line to cap in caps, Tom Hanks. And he says, uh, drop the ball. I'm not sure you ever had the ball. Because when you mentioned Tom Hanks for the third time, it became clear to me, this guy doesn't even know who I am. And so <laughs> I'm going to go find a different, my own audience for my own message or something along those lines. And so the aha is the obvious one, right? Oh man. I, uh, you don't even know who I am. Yeah. You just got, you just, it goes, we just talked about compassionate capitalism. It goes back to just being a good person. So you thought he was connected to Tom Hanks. He wasn't no big deal. Like, it's fine. Whatever. I know. I, I want to talk to you. I want to hear your story. Let's, let's get together. It's fine. Anyway. Um, well, and the other irony in the whole thing is this guy's known for all this sweetness and light and happiness shit. Right. 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 So, so every fiber of my being wanted to send him an email to go F himself. Right. Right. I decided not to do that. <clears throat> I sent him an email and I said, I, I deeply apologized. And then I explained it to him. Yeah. I said, um, he'd been in the news for some reason. I thought he was connected to your movie. Don't know why. Saw your movie years ago on a plane and it was an honest mistake. Best wishes, finding the right audience for your message. Happy <laughs> Easter. 
Christopher. <laughs> Happy Easter, dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know what? I don't want you on my podcast. I'm not having you on my podcast anyway. I mean, right. because your whole thing is this thing over here. I, I made a mistake. Sure. Does it mean I was unprofessional? Absolutely. Was I ill-prepared? Yes, I was. I got the call as I was, I, I was in the laundry room with my wife, okay? I was not prepared. Did I know who the guy was? Yes. Had I seen the movie? Yes. But it was fucking 10 years ago. I don't know why I connected Tom Hanks. It was a gaffe. I, it happens. Whatever. But like that you would be such a prima donna that, that you get like. Yeah. I so much get better. on podcasts. I get on. I get on the get the thing to come on. They don't. They have no idea who I am. They don't know what my book's called. They haven't done anything. They press play and away we go. And it's like, okay, well, shit happens. Right, right. <laughs> I've read both of your books just for the record, so we're good. Um, <laughs> uh, so so it's like, funny. You know what? Get over yourself. Right. Is my point. Yeah, hundred percent. So I, I ended up meeting uh, a celebrity. Uh, I would maybe say B list, maybe. Um, so my cousin works in TV in LA and at the time she was working on Fuller House and I happened to meet Candace Cameron Bure, Bure, Bure. Um, now I, like, I know who she is. I, I watched Full House growing up. I've seen Fuller House. Like I know who this woman is and I know that she's married to a former hockey player. I love hockey. I happened to mention something about her husband losing in the playoffs and she's like, wait, what? And I was like, well, doesn't your husband play for the Predators? She goes, do you think I'm Carrie Underwood? And then we, then we laughed and then it was fine. Like she didn't, do you know who I am? Did I wag her finger at me or whatever? Like she was super nice anyway. And we just laughed. I was like, no, no, no. I just forgot who your husband was. He used to play for Montreal. I'm sorry. I get it. Um, anyway, like, it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. People anyway. mistake me for Bruce Willis all the time. I let him off the hook. <laughs> like, yeah. Yippee Kai. Never mind. Um, uh, I introduced my, my teenagers to that movie this year. They loved it. It was so much fun. Die you got to watch it at Christmas, right? You got to oh, watch we, Die Hard at yep. Christmas. And we did. And I was like, all right, ladies, this is a Christmas movie. They just turned 14, 15. We watched it. They thought it was awesome. They're like, yep, it's a Christmas movie. Works for me. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I loved it. You know, just to wrap on that, I, I really only want to spend time with people who are over themselves. And you know, yeah. the interesting thing, is a contrast that to um, a guy like Bill Walton. Oh man! You know, I met Bill because he and I were speaking at the same thing, and we connected, and we've stayed in touch. And he's been on the podcast, and uh, I probably don't go probably once a month, but certainly every other month without a quick call or an email from him or, or if I see something that makes me think of him. And so we just have this, you know, he's not my best friend or anything like that, but we met, we developed an affinity and a connection. He read my book. I read his book. He came on the podcast. I got to know a little bit about his life and his kids and his wife. And we spent some time, you know, together and whatever. So we've become friendly. Right. Um, and, and so here's a guy who's a living American icon, American treasure, one of the 50 greatest NBA players ever, according to the NBA, one of the greatest announcers in the history. I mean, there's no, there's, there's Bill Walton and that's it. Right. 
and he raises all this money for charity. And he, I mean, there's just, I could tell you a million things about how legendary Bill Walton is. And so you could imagine that guy could be, that guy has lots of reason to be arrogant. <laughs> lots of reason not to be humble. Yeah. Lots of reason to be a pain in the keister. And the Bill Walton that you see on TV and the Bill Walton that you read in his book, um, Back from the Dead, legendary book, great thing to read during a shutdown, um, is the Bill Walton you meet when you meet him. Hmm. Only he's even better in person. Hmm. You know, and we recently had Darren Prince on the, on the podcast, on Follow Your Different. And um, he was both Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. I'm sure you see the picture behind me. He was, he was the agent to both those guys. Oh, wow. And he said something on the podcast that I didn't know. You know what both those guys did when they were going to an airport? Hmm. They went way early. So they could sign as many autographs as possible because they knew that unless they were going to have sort of security escort them through the airport, that there was going to be a lot of people who wanted to shake their hand and get an autograph or a picture or something. Yeah. And so they, Dan, planned for it. See, that, that little thing is such a legendary, to use your term, a legendary way to, to, to take what you have and, and wield it well, I feel like. Well, and here's another one. Um, uh, we just, uh, we just dropped, or when, when's this going to drop? Uh, in the next couple of weeks here. So, okay. So we just dropped an episode, um, with four-star general Stan McChrystal. I saw you were talking to him again. Yeah. Yeah. He's How been on that? a couple of times and, and, um, uh, he and his partner, Chris Fussell just wrote this legendary article, legendary op-ed for the New York times. Uh, and the title is something like, um, what nine 11 taught us about crisis leadership or something, or maybe just leadership, something along those lines. Uh, it's absolutely legendary. Anyway. <clears throat> so after it came out, I was emailing with Fussell. And, uh, so he came on the podcast and we talked about that stuff. And, and, and uh, Stan, as he likes to be called, I, I prefer <laughs> to call him General McChrystal, but he prefers <laughs> to be called Stan, so I try to oblige. Anyway, uh, he just came back on. So you think about these kinds of guys, Fussell and, and, and McChrystal. Yeah. I don't know if it's possible to be a more decorated Navy SEAL than Chris Fussell. I don't know that it's possible to be more of a servant to your country than Chris Fussell. And former Secretary of Defense Robert Gates said that Stan McChrystal was the finest warrior and leader of men in battle he's ever seen. Hmm. And I'm paraphrasing, but the quote is pretty much, I'm close. Okay. So you want to talk about a couple of guys who could be as arrogant and condescending. And oh, by the way, they're both insanely smart. They've written all these books. They deal with world leaders and CEOs all the time, right? They're not exactly the dumbest dudes in the room, <laughs> right? Right, right. And, and these guys come on the podcast and they're humble and they're thoughtful and they engage in a conversation and, and they, they, with for no reason treat me like 
<laughs> you know, like, I mean, they treat people how they want uh, be, to be treated. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a core value. They're fi- anyway, you can tell I'm amazed. And so the truth is, whether it's Bill Walton or McChrystal or Fussell or, or Darren Prince himself, by the way, Darren Prince could be the most arrogant guy in history. He's the agent to all, I mean, he's the agent to the stars. He had yeah. Frazier and Ali at the same time. He was Evil Knievel's agent. <laughs> awesome. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is his first client as an agent. He started off in the memorabilia business, and then he became an agent. And so wow. he got to know Magic doing signings and things along those lines. And so Magic Johnson's his first client. Wow. Okay? And talk about radical generosity, right? The way Darren describes magic encouraging him to get into the business and that he would be his anchor client and he, he's been with him ever since okay yeah, that's incredible so darren himself could be an arrogant asshole far from it incredible guy he gives out his phone number on the podcast and his email because he's a recovered addict and he wants he says i'll help anybody you can call me anytime wow. if you're in trouble and you want to talk to me here's my email he's unbelievable darren prince is unbelievable right super agent super sports agent he tells a story on the podcast of sitting at it i forget was it a, i think it was in new york if i'm not mistaken at a knicks game i could be wrong anyway basketball game center court one side next to muhammad ali other side next to him joe frazier and then at one point frazier whispers in his ear and he says switch places with me <laughs> and the whole world explodes. Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier at the basketball game at center court. Okay, so Darren Prince, but telling people, hey, if you're an addict and you're looking to recover, you, you get a hold of me. I'm going to help if I can. Right? Man. So my point is, I compare these guys to the ding dong I just told you about. Yeah. The truth is, the legendary, and by the way, the women are the same. I got to know Carrie Walsh Jennings because she came on my podcast. She's the greatest volleyball player of all time. If I'm not mistaken, five-time Olympian, okay? She, she is the Muhammad Ali of volleyball. There's no question about it. There's no debate about it. It's not even close, okay? Legendary American human being and Olympian, right? Won a gold medal in London while she was, if I'm remembering, three or four months pregnant. Yeah, yeah. She won a gold medal while she was pregnant. And by the way, I've gotten to know her husband. Unbelievable guy. These are incredible people. Anyway, what's my point? I could tell you a lot for a, lot, for, for a long time how humble Carrie Walsh Jennings is and how humble her husband is. These are wonderful people who are as accomplished as human beings can be. And they treat people spectacularly and so the real legends plan to go to the airport early i love that it is such a it, it is so you know this whole this whole conversation started because you were talking about playing a character versus being just yourself being authentic being yourself taking care of people like it is so it's such a huge thing and and so easy to forget when we see those stories in you mentioned the media earlier and social media of the, just the bad shit going on. Like there are good humans out there doing good things and staying humble. Um, so thanks for sharing those stories. Uh, I love too, that you talked earlier about um, being, being that storyteller that you are, uh, you do it verbally rather than written. 
And I feel like oral story, I mean, it's been with us since the dawn of language, whereas written took longer. I mean, do you think that the oral is the way to go when it comes to storytelling? Even like in today's day and age, right? We want to blog. Everybody wants to blog. Everybody wants to write, do these things. But man, verbal storytelling is so powerful. Why is that? So first of all, I think audio is the future. Here's something that happened uh, that nobody noticed just recently. Since um, the pandemic broke out, the New York Times bought a company. And I forget the name of it. It started with an A, A-D, Adamana, Ada something. Uh, and what that company does is, if I'm not mistaken, again, I'm not an expert in this area, but I think through a combination of people and technology, they convert the, uh, the written word into audio. And so as you probably know, of course, as a podcaster, the New York Times had the, the New York Times podcast, the daily is often the number one podcast and they have a bunch of others. And so they like a few of these com- media companies got forward on their skis on podcasts and have done really well. And so now they've gone out and they've bought this technology to, if I understand what they're doing. And again, I wasn't involved in any way, shape or form. I'm just telling you what I read on uh, some of the websites. What they're going to try to do here is stand up a capability where uh, in a podcast like way you can have the New York times read to you. So I think there's something very powerful about audio is distinct from audio and video. And we can get into that if you want, but then to get, you know, to your question, um, I think different people like to consume information and content in different ways. And I think, um, you know, this is my preference, but I like video as well. And um, I love to read, even though it's a real commitment for me. Yeah. Um, But I think for me over time, the banter of a real dialogue is interesting to me because things come out that wouldn't necessarily otherwise come out because it's like the difference between going to see um, a rehearsed play and improv. Because in a real dialogue, to some degree, the participants are acting without a net. There's some thinking out loud that's bound to happen, even if they start off with their regular talking points, right? Sooner or later, if it's a long enough conversation, you're going to move off of the, your sound bites and talking points, right? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some dance that happens in the conversation. There's something fascinating about that because fresh ideas can come out. And when people operate without a net, they're taking a little bit of risk with their thinking. I, I lo- You call it a dialogue. And that's what you, you know, you've called your podcast for a long time is a dialogue podcast, not even podcast. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it is, it's so powerful. Like instead of, you know, I think I'm going back into the business world a little bit and like marketing and, and, and storytelling in that sense, we use webinars, we do all these things that are super produced. It's, it's that, you know, scripted play. Whereas having conversations, having dialogue can be so much more powerful. I don't know everything. If I'm teaching somebody, they can bring something to it and we can riff on it. Like it's such a great way to do it when you can. Um, yeah. So many good stories come out of it. Uh, that, that's awesome. And, and look, man, you're like, your podcast is one of the top ones out there so often. I don't know. Is it in the top 10 now of like podcasts ever? 
I keep seeing all these well, great things know, I from I don't, <laughs> I don't think we're that far. If, if, if you think that we're out ahead, <laughs> forward on our skis with our marketing. Um, but no, we have hit number one in, in business. And we have, uh, uh, from time to time, we absolutely, with both podcasts, chart in the top 200 overall, which um, I think, yeah, we've tra- we charted in the top 20. I can't remember the exact number, but you know, there's 900,000 podcasts on Apple. So Insane. I, don't know, I don't know how that happens. Insane. Um, no, it's fun though. Yeah. Interesting story to me about that is here's what people told me in the beginning. Hey, um, nobody has time to listen to an hour long business podcast. Uh, the average commute is 28 minutes or I don't know, whatever the number is. And so your podcast has to be, you know, two minutes less than that or some whatever fucking the rule was at the time. Right. Um, and it's like, Oh, you, you got to get to the point. You got to just net it out and get to the good stuff. Uh, nobody wants to listen to free form bullshit, a bunch of guys yakking, right. You got to get to the, the value bombs or whatever. Right. And all that. And, and, and then the other one, of course, I got all the time is, Hey, listen, um, you are massively going to limit your, your, your business podcast. You're going to limit your audience. If you swear, you got to stop swearing. Right. And on and on, I, all kinds of other stuff, all of which I said, fuck that. I'm not, cause the whole point for me in doing the podcast was to do a podcast that I wanted to listen to. Yeah. Right. And if I had to apply these rules, well, that was not going to be any fun. There's a million of those podcasts that, uh, that have applied those rules that you can go listen to and get your, <laughs> today we're going to talk about the three hacks for SEO. There's a, there's a million of that, you know, how yes. to make money yes. doing this and the fucking <laughs> seven steps to that. And like, it's ridiculous. Um, but I digress. So, um, I think that the fun aha in, in all of that is um, that even with that many podcasts, it's possible to niche down and, 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 and create a position for yourself. That's unique. You know, it's not unique that you have a podcast with a couple people talking, but you know, in our case, we found some subtle uniqueness, some subtle differentiators that seem to have made a difference over time. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I love the, the neener nonner FU effect to all the experts that, that, that the, the old punk rocker in me appreciates that part of it. hundred <laughs> percent, man. Absolutely. And I think another big part of it too, that's so powerful, at least for me anyway, as a listener, huge fan of, of follow your different. Um, and I've also started listening to uh, Christopher Lockett on marketing. And there again, like I'm full disclosure. I was like, not another marketing podcast. I've got enough of those. I don't like, Christopher's got a great mind, but I like follow your different. I'm good. Well, I started listening to it. And I'm like, holy shit. Like this is yes. Yes. So anyway, um, but what I love about follow your different is the stories, right? It again comes down to the stories, how people tell stories, those stories that connect us, like the fact that you let them go rather than, okay, hold on. We got to take a break. We're going to do our, you know, we're at 45 minutes. We're done. Like you just let stories go. I love how that plays out. I mean, was it, was that also something that you thought of is like, I don't want to stop stories as they're going when you launched it. Well, fuck. Yes. Point a point B. Uh, one thing I can promise you, you're never going to hear on my podcast podcasts for that matter. 
And look, no disrespect to the podcasters who do it. I get it. I get it. Um, but you're not going to hear an ad read in the middle of a conversation. In the middle of General McChrystal, you will not hear me break in and say, let me tell you about why I love me undies. Right. Because the magic, I think, I think there's something magic when two people sit down, turn off their fucking devices, look each other in the eye like you and I are, and say, we're going to pretend there's nobody else in the world, and you and I, are at, we're not going to be on our phones, we're not going to be talking to whatever over there, we're not doing any of that. We're going to sit here and have a conversation, see what happens. And I think you throw an ad into it, you break that whole thing. And, and, um, and I think there's magic in real conversation. Now on the time thing, do you know what the first TV shows were like, Dan? I can't say that I do. So when television cameras were made, what they did was they put a TV camera in a theater where a play was on and they video recorded the play. So they, what you do when a new technology shows up, not always, but often is you take the old thing and you layer the new thing into it. Well, what happened over time with television, there becomes this aha that says, wait a minute, we're not constrained by a theater. We could go outside. We're not constrained by sets. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the technology enables, and I'm going to use these words on purpose, a very different kind of creative innovation. So the initial TV shows were essentially plays on TV. For the most part, many, some I would say meaningful percentage, whether they realize it or not. Some of them actually are, and some of them just are because that's the paradigm. Podcasts are still radio shows on the internet. Yeah. A radio show on the internet is like a movie camera at a play. And so why do we run out of time on radio? Well, we run out of time on radio because time on radio is expensive. Mm-hmm. Time on podcast, kind of free. Kind of, I like that kind of free. Yep. Close to free. I mean, compared to radio or TV, way free, right? Point A. And uh, and so the television that you and I, you know, a phrase I hate on TV, and we're all watching the news more than normal pretty much, because they're constrained by time. You hear this all the time. Well, uh, Dan, uh, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. So if you take Stan McChrystal as an example and you see him on TV and he's on TV a bunch, right? And he's on 60 Minutes or he's on CNN this or Fox that or whatever, whatever, good morning, blah, blah, blahs or whatever he's on because he's on all the big shit, right? Um, if he's on 60 Minutes, they might spend two to four days with him. And what you and I see, eight minutes, I don't know. I'm guessing I might be off a little here and there, but directionally I'm right. So we don't have a time constraint here. And so on TV, somebody will say something legendary or on radio 
you want to you want to ask way more questions about that. You know, my father was a hamster. Well, wait a minute, right? <laughs> um, Let's go back to that. Hold on. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, because we're on radio and TV and we have a time constraint, we go, oh, that's interesting, uh, Jim. Next question, right? Like, well, wait, hey, he just said his father was a hamster, right? And, and so they can't do that and they have to leave it here. On a podcast, the general says something legendary and I say, hmm, could you expand upon that a little bit for me, Stan? And we can. We're not constrained. And so I think we're actually at the beginning of podcast innovation because you don't have to do these interviews that are highly produced and edited and sn snapped up so that it's just the bits they want you to see. No, you can sit down as if you were having a coffee or a beer with four-star general Stanley McChrystal or Kerry Walsh Jennings and have a real conversation about some things that they care about and get into it. And there's no time constraint. It is so, it is so powerful. And, and there's nothing wrong with the shorter podcasts. I mean, on marketing is typically a lot shorter, five, 10 minutes, maybe. So there's nothing wrong with short, but yeah, these conversations that you have with people that are truly legendary um, is so good. Um, man, I could just, Thank you. I could just sit and just like shoot the shit with you for forever. This is so much fun. I'm glad I don't have time restraints. Um, where, <laughs> we could where, do a 12 part series if you want. <laughs> right. Um, so, so as, as far as storytellers go, like where I, I said earlier, it was, a, it's kind of a buzzword right now. Everybody wants the story and, you know, God bless Donald Miller for his story brand. I think it's a great format. I think there are great companies that use it, but does everybody in marketing and business have to be a storyteller? Like, how do you feel about the word storytelling when it comes to business and marketing, especially as a former CMO? So, um, your success in life and in business will be constrained in part or enabled greatly by your ability to tell stories. People so really don't still remember. that important. Of course. Hmm. Stories are what engage us in each other stories are what invest us in each other. You know, one of my favorite questions, my, my buddy, Kevin Maney, who, um, who uh, wrote play bigger with me, uh, his criteria for evaluating whether or not he should do something in life is, will this lead to a good story? <laughs> yeah. you know, and so Here's the reality. Here's the damn reality. And, and my boss and mentor, Bob Howe, years ago, the legendary Bob Howe, uh, shared this with all of us. This was at a company back in the dot-com days. And he would, he would say this often. He'd say, look, let me tell you, as the old guy in the room, when he was the old guy in the room with a bunch of young kids in the dot-com tech world, he said, when it's all done, you're going to spend the money. So whatever money you make, what, have fun with it. God bless you, whatever. But you're going to spend the money. And what are you going to be left with? You're going to be left with two things. The relationships and the memories. And memories are stories. Mm. 
right? And so the, the stories of our glory days, the story of the glory days of the people that we love. Uh, yeah. And so is this going to be a good story? The other thing I want to share with you before I forget, um, I have a young writing mentor. I've, I've worked with a lot of legendary writers and I've worked recently with a young guy named Cole Schaefer. And I highly, highly recommend you should have him on the podcast. Uh, I believe his website is called honeycopy.com. Let me double check. Um, this guy is beyond legendary. Oh, and oh, his newsletter absolutely must read. Absolutely must read. Uh, yeah, honeycopy.com. There he is. And when you go to honey. And by the way, I have no financial interest in any of this. I'm just telling you because I love the guy. Um, sign up for his newsletter. Cole Schaefer. Un unbelievable. Anyway, um, one of the things that he told me to do was um, take a book that you admire, like one of your absolute favorite books, one of your top three or five books. Sit there with it in one hand and write the whole book out freehand. Write, just read it and then write it and do the whole thing. And, and the aha for me about that is, and it was such a genius insight. I'd never heard it. I'd never heard that from anybody before. I don't know if he invented it or whatever, but I had never heard that. Um, and the answer to my question is obvious, but when he and I talked about it, I said, well, why would you do that? It's the equivalent of this. When you first start learning to play guitar or piano or drums, you learn other people's songs. So, you know, you learn some Dylan tunes on the guitar or whatever it is, right? But you learn other people's songs. Most people don't start by writing their own songs. They're, they learn covers. So if you're like me and you love Catcher in the Rye, sit there and write Catcher in the Rye. That's his advice. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you because if you want to become a legendary storyteller and particularly a legendary written storyteller, take the most legendary stories that you love and do this advice. You just, I, I don't often swear on my, on my show for no good reason, but you just blew my fucking mind, <laughs> man. That is so, I've never heard that. That is so good. Right out. Just like a cover song. What you love, man. Wow. I'm gonna let that sit there for a minute. Cause that is awesome. Cole Schaefer, honeycopy.com. His newsletter is called sticky notes. It's amazing. When I, when I get it, if I can, I stop. And I at least give it a good skim, if not read the whole thing. He's incredible. I love him. Uh, he rewrote Lockhead.com for us. Uh, he's, a, he's a beauty. I just, uh, I just signed up for it. So there you go. Um, so Christopher, if, I want to ask my last question because I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about it. Um, but I want to make sure everybody, you know, you've thrown out a bunch of resources for everybody else. But where can people connect with you? to make sure that they follow all your shows and anything else that you're doing. So probably the simplest thing is lockhead.com and everything hangs off that um, two H's L O C H H E A D.com and whatever podcast player you're in. If you type in 
Christopher, or if you type in Lockhead, normally, normally I come up pretty quickly if you want to get that way, but lockhead.com. Go to the website, subscribe to those shows, man. So much good stuff as a storyteller, as a marketer, just as just loving to hear interesting people talk. Like what a great, great bunch of stuff. Um, so Christopher, if, if someone, you know, you said earlier, you're not a storyteller, but man, you are. But if someone were to say to you, you can't be a storyteller anymore, what would you want your last story to be? Hmm. When you say my last story, what, tell me exactly what you mean by my last story. How, what, what last story would you want to tell before you're all done telling stories? Like, okay, I got to do something different. Maybe I can no longer tell a story, but I can only do this one thing. I, I don't like, it's not even possible really, <laughs> but what would you want? How would you want to tell a final story? What would that look like for you? I'll just say the first thing that's on my mind. Um, many of us get told and taught that the pathway to success is to fit in. And as kids, it can be painful to stand out versus fit in. Um, nobody legendary fits in. They stand out. And on one dimension, you and I, people connect on similarities, shared interests. And that's very, very powerful. And that's fantastic. And the deep-seated truth is you and I want to be loved for what makes us uniquely us. Said in a different way, what makes us different. And, and so I think the last story that I would want to tell is one of um, the legendary people, the legendary companies and brands, the authors, the writers, the artists, the scientists, the teachers, um, the, the, the spiritual leaders, the political leaders that we admire the most, whether they're individuals in our own lives or, or larger than lives figure, figures that most people would know. The reason we admire them is they broke and took new ground. They focused on something exponential. So rather than focusing on doing something incrementally better, they did something exponentially different and they left the world in a different place. As a result, they brought something forward that was uniquely them. And as a result, they became known for that thing. Whether it's Pablo Picasso being known for um, cubism or the Ramones being known for a new category of rock and roll called punk rock. Mm -hmm. And so what I would hope to leave is the encouragement to... Um, be yourself, to break and take new ground, and to do the exponential different as opposed to the incremental better. A great story to leave behind and uh, one to, to chew on, especially for those of us who are just wanting to figure out what it is that we want to be legendary about. So uh, thank you, Christopher. 
as always, man, a great pleasure chatting with you just in general, but thanks for being on the show too, my friend. Thank you, brother. Stay legendary. Once again, Christopher Lockhead, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, Christopher, for joining me. You can connect with him at the links in the show notes, plus some of the other things that he mentioned uh, as far as like John's crazy socks and all that other stuff. Check out the links uh, in the show notes for all of that. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with someone, either actually sharing it with a person or just sharing it on social media. Tag me. I love seeing those. So thank you for that very much. And uh, any kind of resources you need to tell your story better, go to the storytellersnetwork.com. Let's change the world through story together. You can also share your story with me from the website. So there you go. Listen, I appreciate you listening. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.